Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and today we're going to be talking about UFC 294, the rematch between Islam Makachev and Alexander Volkanovsky for the undisputed lightweight title, as well as Hamzat Chimaev versus the former welterweight champion Kamaru Usman in a middleweight showdown. So absolutely unbelievable main and co-main event the rest of the card is stacked and uh my friends it's going down this saturday night live at the etihad arena in fight island abu dhabi and we got i mean basically a battle of who's the pound for pound king is it islam makachev is it volkanovsky you got the lightweight champ versus the featherweight champ fighting for the lightweight belt We've seen them fight before. It was competitive. It was back and forth. And, I mean, this is a hell of a main event. It's a hell of a card. Let's not even beat around the bush. Let's get right down to business. Because in the main event, we got the champ, Islam Makachev. He's 24-1, and taking on the featherweight champ, Alexander Volkanovsky, who's 26-2. and Currently, they got it, Islam Makachev. Minus 255, the comeback on Alexander Volkanovsky is plus 215. So right off the bat, odds are different than the first time they fought, right? The first time they fought, what, Islam was minus 400, minus 500, something like that. And due to the nature of it being a competitive back-and-forth fight, the line's been adjusted. Um, So now, you know, it's about what do you take away from the first fight. It's about the fact that... These two run it 10 times. What's going to happen every single time? You know, it's going to be a different outcome. And uh, there's a lot to discuss. So let's get right into it because Islam Makachev, you know, one thing I was talking about recently was how, you know, these guys like Islam and Habib, they're so dominant in, in their realm, you know, with their unbelievable grappling abilities that people often label them as one-dimensional fighters and i i just think that's so unfair in islam's case where you know he did hurt alexander volkanovsky standing in their first fight five prior dropped charles Oliveira. i know everyone dropped charles Oliveira, but still just saying i mean he's knocked down his last two opponents officially they didn't give uh islam a, a knockdown in that alexander volk fight but i mean he definitely dropped him to one knee i know y'all remember that that nice little sequence they had and you know the whole talk about well volk is taking this you know on a couple days short notice he's off the couch quote unquote he's not really off the couch you know this is this is a guy that trains year round so while he might not have been training at the same intensity that he normally would it's not like the guy was you know partying this whole time and and then he got the call and i mean this guy's been in the gym and he's one of the greats his nickname is the great so you can never count out a guy like volkanovsky you 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 just simply can't people calling it a money grab i mean yeah i'm sure it doesn't hurt to get paid what he's getting paid to show up to this fight but i also believe that a guy like volkanovsky isn't just gonna lay down for anybody a guy like volkanovsky it isn't it isn't gonna be a case where it's like well I got the bag and now I'm out. You know, I think that this guy has a lot of a lot of pride, a lot of uh, you know, 
he wants to be a double champ. He wants to make history. He wants to be known as one of the best ever. And someone said in the comments, he's said he's been drinking. Yeah, talk is cheap. He also said he was coming off the couch. Like, it's easy to say these kind of things and to buy into these narratives. But at the end of the day, Volkanovski is world class. We've seen them go five rounds before, and we've seen that Volkanovski can survive some of these bad spots. Survive these bad spots. Now, let's put context in that. When I say survive these bad spots, what that means is, okay, he's not going to be getting submitted. He's not going to be getting ground and pound TKO'd, but he's still probably going to lose those rounds based off control, right? So... One thing that was really interesting to me in their last fight was how in that fifth round, the fifth round was the most dominant round of the entire fight. And that was actually a round that Volkanovsky won decisively. And I think one of the reasons behind that is Islam Makachev is massive for 155 pounds. I mean, this guy could easily go up to 170 and do great things there. And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, you go back to... I don't remember what example I was giving, but I was talking a, a couple of cards ago about how, you know, I was talking to Cody Dern about this, you know, that first week of contender series, you saw that big jacked Brazilian guy who was in there with the Peruvian kid. Right. And in the gym, you know, that, that Brazilian guy, you know, he's weighing 150, 160 and he, and he's ragdolling everybody. But when you actually have to make the cut to 125 pounds, you're not the same guy on the fight that you are in the gym. Now, Islam Makachev, for a guy like him to make 155 and perform as admirably as he does, I mean, look at his run. Look, I mean, he's a defending, reigning UFC world champion, and he's on an insane win streak, and he's beat real guys. I'm not just talking about Volkanovsky. I'm not just talking about Charles Dubronx Oliveira. What about, uh, let, let's not forget what... Uh, one does not simply 3027 Armin Sarukian debut or not. So Islam's the real deal. But, but what I was trying to say was the reason why that fifth round got kind of sketchy for him was because I do think that those weight cuts are serious. And when and he doesn't have much resistance in a lot of these fights. Like when he fought Hooker and Bobby Green, right? One takedown, the fight was over shortly after on both accounts. But Volk made him work for everything. And, and that's when, you know, having those brutal weight cuts, that's when it's going to come, you know, it's going to come to light in those championship rounds. And that's what happened in that fifth round of their first fight. So here, now back to the short notice talk. I'm sure Alexander Volkanovsky is in shape. That, that goes without saying. This guy's a professional off the couch or not off the couch. Um, this guy's coming in shape. It's just, is he going to be in the same shape he was in last time to where he can survive all these bad spots, get Islam to that fatigue state, and possibly really take over as the fight progresses? Survive some bad spots. Y'all know when you put someone in a body triangle and you're talking about from the offensive perspective, that shit's going to tire out your legs. And, you know, beating someone up and they're still there, they're undeterred, they're. Like, okay, that's the best you got. Well, now it's my turn to deliver my offense. That's discouraging for guys. So I'm very curious if Alexander can overcome some really bad spots and push Islam to not necessarily a breaking point because you, you 
to break a guy like Islam Makachev, I mean, you better bring a fucking army, pal. You know, to quote uh, Joe Pesci in Casino, man, because, uh, you know, these guys, the way they grew up, the way they've been training their whole lives, the kind of pride they have on the line. And let's take it a step further. This shit's in Abu Dhabi, man. For Volk to win this fight, he needs a finish. No guy named Islam is losing a judge's decision in Abu Dhabi, period, point blank. And, and I know some people are going to take that comment and twist it and, and make it into something it's not. Don't. I mean, last time they were in Australia, right, and, and Islam got the decision, but it was clear. It was close, but it was clear. I thought it was clear three rounds to two. Islam Makachev and, and people saying that oh Volk got robbed. Volk did not get robbed. Volk performed much better than his line indicated and he didn't just get ran through like everybody else has been getting ran through against Islam Makachev and he fought very competitively and admirably but he did not win the fight. Let's just make that distinction here, okay? It was close but it was clear for Islam Makachev but now in Abu Dhabi, I mean, if you want to see a riot, <laughs> give this decision to Volkanovsky. You know what I'm saying? Because, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think that if it's close, it's going it's going to Islam. If it's dominant, it's going to Islam. For Volk to win this fight, we need a finish or he needs to, I mean, it needs to be four to one on the judges' scorecards. It needs to be five nothing. If it's three, two. Islam's getting that shit all day long. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, but it, look, it's really interesting because one of the things that makes Volk so great, and we talk about this every single time he fights, is he's got the most elite fainting game in, I'd say, the in, the entirety of the sport. You know, he, he's a guy that that he has people biting on his feints. You don't know when he's going up top. You don't know when he's going to his kicks. You don't know when he's going to mix in a takedown. He just has guys mesmerized out there. They're staring at him the whole time. Um, and Dixon said, Dan, we said that about Strickland. He won unanimous in Izzy home court. Yeah, but that was a blowout, man. That was a clear four to one. That's not the point I'm making here, Dixon. The point I'm making here is that for Volk to win this, in Islam's, you know, backyard. It's not obviously not Dagestan, but we we know who uh we we know who the hometown guy per se is here. It's Islam. For Volk to win this, it has to be like a Strickland versus Izzy, where it's undeniable, where it's four to one, where it's a pillar to post ass whooping, and it's so dominant that you can't debate who won the fight. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Whereas if this is a, a tit for tat and, and, and it's, you know, man, it could have gone this way. It could have gone that way. Islam's getting that fight. And, and that's the bottom line. So <sighs> Professor Chaos asked a great question. Can Volk use his gas tank as a weapon and push a higher pace from the get-go? Well, that's where the short notice comes in because I'm sure he's in shape. No questions asked. This guy's a true professional and he's, the, he's a pound for pound great. But is he on that higher level gear? Um, and, and, and I mean, by gear, I don't mean steroids by gear. I mean, can he tap into that next gear where he can push that pace, where he can make Islam feel the effects of that tremendous weight cut that he has to go to to get himself to 155 pounds? Because I think Islam can fight at 170 and be in the top five, potentially fight for a belt there. 
So it's a tough one. I do have to pick Islam Makachev in this fight. I think that, you know, Volk is known for being a very physical guy in a lot of his fights. Well, guess what? Islam's more physical. Uh, Volk's known for being a guy that really dictates the pace of these fights. Islam does that too. So it's an intriguing fight. It's an amazing fight. And again, we talk about often how people discredit the Habibs, the Islams. Oh, they're one-dimensional. They can only grapple. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. Like I told you all last time, Khabib dropped Connor. Khabib was like throwing flying knees at Edson Barboza and doing all kinds of like could be it might not look the prettiest, but Khabib, Khabib will go for it standing, right? He's not a guy that's about to pull guard. And same with Islam. Islam dropped his last two opponents. Islam, Islam can can stand. He's got a good jab. Um, his his head kicks on point too. I love. I love everything about both these guys. Um, I can't say a bad word about either of them. I think they're two pound-for-pound pound greats. Um, I, I just think that this is Islam's time at this weight class right now, and, and I think he's going to get it done. Can I ever count out Volk? Of course not. You cannot, and you cannot disrespect him. You cannot discredit him. You know, No slander of either of these guys will be tolerated, okay? Bottom line. But I just think that Volk um, – excuse me. I just think that Islam, this is his weight class – um, he's felt Volk before both guys are going to make adjustments, but, uh, I, I think worst case scenario, it's a close fight and they give it to Islam and Abu Dhabi. So, but don't, don't, don't discount the possibility of a finish either. But I, I think most likely with how tough and durable these guys are that it most likely goes five again, but we'll see. We'll see. My pick is Islam to win this fight. Co-main event of the evening in the middleweight division. We got the former welterweight champion, Kamaru Uzman. He's 20 and 3, taking on Hamza Chimaev, who's 12 and 0. And currently they got it. Hamza Chimaev minus 300. The comeback on Kamaru Uzman is plus 260. I love this fight. Incredible fight. And you know, there, there's a lot of ways we can start this breakdown i guess let's start with kamaru uzman so a lot of people say oh dan's a ufc shill and then this and that and i'll tell you what right now i disagree with dana calling kamaru uzman the best welterweight of all time i think he's a top three top four top five welterweight of all time but i think it's disrespectful to gsp to call kamaru uzman the greatest welterweight of all time reason being GSP cleared out his division and beat all the top welterweights of his era. Usman did not. And, and let me let me explain myself before you know people come at me because I know Dana's talking point, and, and I you guys know I respect Dana a lot. But Dana's talking point was, wow, he's cleared out the division to the point where now he's got to fight Colby again. Now he's got to fight Uz, uh, Masvidal again. And, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, he, he did fight, you know, Colby, which is a great win. Burns is a great win, but he didn't clear out his division like GSP did, right? Like when he got to Leon Edwards, not the first time, but the second time, he got head kicked, knocked out, lost in the rematch. And now he's fighting an, another one of the top welterweights of his division, Hamza Chimaev. Let's see how he does here. Um, I think that there were a lot of guys that uh, Usman didn't fight that were the top welterweights of his time. He didn't fight Bilal Muhammad. Um, if I can pull up the rankings right now, 
never fought Luke. Now, don't get me wrong. I think he probably would have beat some of these guys. But just saying, when people talk about how, you know, Kamaru cleared out uh, the division, I, I, I disagree with that. I, I don't think that Kamaru Usman cleared out his division. I think that there were a lot of guys he didn't get to fight. Bilal, Hamza Chimaev, who he's fighting this weekend. Um, Vicente Luque, Jeff Neal, um, Shavkat, right? Uh, there's more. So GSP, like there's literally not a welterweight from his era that he did not beat. Whereas Usman, I just told y'all a whole list of guys that he never fought and beat. And I don't want to sound like I'm discrediting Usman's dominance because to put up the kind of streak he did, I mean, to to go on the run that Kamaru Usman did, break the records that Kamaru Usman broke, I mean, you can't you can't discredit that. I mean, I'm, I'm about to read off some of his accomplishments, man. Um, because he truly is one of the greatest of all time, but to call him the greatest with GSP, I think is a big, is, is a bit of a stretch. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, Usman, you know, he had the third most title fight wins in UFC welterweight history. Okay. GSP had more than that. Matt Hughes had more than that. So, while for sure I think that Usman's a Hall of Famer, um, I just disagree when people call him the greatest welterweight of all time. That that that's GSP. But back to this matchup, what I love about this is Chimaev needs that big test, right? Chimaev's been tested. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like he went in there with Gerald Mearshart, and at this weight class at eighty five, <laughs> Gerald Mearshart didn't even land a punch. Kamaru Usman threw four punches, knocked him out with one of them. I mean, you know, uh, so we've seen him at this weight class before. Granted, only for a couple seconds, but he handled those couple seconds accordingly. And he's been in there with good guys. Li Jing Liang, Gilbert Burns, Kevin Holland, all very solid competition. But none of those guys are a championship caliber fighter. And this is where the big test is for Chimaev. Because, look, you passed your top 10 test with Li Jing Liang. You passed your top five test with Gilbert Burns. You passed your your short notice mix-up on the day of against a real tough out in Kevin Holland. You passed all those tests. Now you have to pass the test of a championship-caliber fighter, and that's where Kamaru Usman comes into the picture. And here's the thing. Back to the respect I have for Usman, to go on that amazing streak he had, beating covington twice doing all the things he did right getting to the belt defending the belt great but one thing about it is when you go on one of those big win streaks those insane streaks where you look invincible like the anderson silva streak the fedor streak the uzman streak right once you hit the top of the mountain there's nowhere to go but down and that's just how it works and we can talk about how, you know, Usman's body is allegedly falling apart on him. His knees are shot and and this and that. And I think that that's, I mean, you got to bring that up because that's part of what we're talking about. That's part of you reach the top of the mountain. There's nowhere to go but down. And one of my favorite quotes from ATL rapper Gucci Mane was, hit rock bottom, can't go but up. And that's what I talk about when guys who, you know, they've been at the lowest of the lows, and now it's time to rise up like that Phoenix, whereas with Usman, 
It's the opposite. You've accomplished everything there is to accomplish in this sport. What are you about to make another title run? I highly doubt it with Leon as the champ, who's already beat you twice with guys like Shafkat and Bilal coming up. I just don't see Usman making another title run. Now I think Usman is cashing out. And don't get me wrong. When I say cashing out, I don't mean that Usman's just going to come in here and, you know, take a knee and, and just fall over and, and you know, let the ref intervene. Oh, let me get my bag real quick and this and that. No, I think Usman's going to try his hardest. I, I'm just not sure if his hardest is good enough anymore to compete with the top of the top or at least win against the top of the top at this point in his career because usually when long reigning champions lose their belts they often don't come back to win those belts furthermore they tend to start their declines and i do think that uzman is a fight or two away from retirement and these are the spots where you get your really high prospect or contender at this point and you let him get the win off uzman you or excuse me, you don't let him. You set him up to, to you know, let, let's test him against a championship caliber guy. He gets this win. You take him right to a title shot. And if for some reason Kamaru gets this win, he's already beat Sean Strickland back in the day. You know, it's funny. I bet Strickland like plus 320 there in their first fight. And Usman fucking mopped the floor with him. If they ever ran it back in this day and age, I'd actually bet Strickland. But back then, Usman was on another level. So here's what I kind of think. I am super happy that Chimaev went through that Gilbert Burns fight because before that fight, he thought that he was God's gift to fighting. He thought that, oh, I, oh, I touched these guys one time and, and fight these over. You know what I mean? Like, I kill everybody. You know, you remember when he was talking like that and talking about how, oh, he wants to fight every weekend and he was doing the whole, you know, young stud bit. But after that, I think he matured a lot. He realized that, hey, these guys aren't just going to go down to your first punch. You got to be ready to go to war for three straight rounds. And I think that that was an important lesson for him. Against Kevin Holland, I think he showed him no respect. He redlined, just went for it right away, literally went 100 miles per hour. Had Holland survived, <laughs> shit might have gotten interesting. But I think here against Usman, I think he's going to be smarter. Um, and I think that he's going to kind of show this next generation. I know it's at middleweight. Um, but it's two welterweights in here. But just that next generation of fighters, just the next step after Usman. This is what comes next. Shemaev, who, you know, he's going to, Usman's an athletic guy. Shemaev's a little bit more athletic. Usman's a fucking physical freak. Shemaev's a little bit stronger. Usman's got punching power. Shemaev hits even harder. So I, I just think that we're at that point now where Shemaev's meeting Usman at the right time. And for every fighter, we talk about it. Every champion was once a contender. Every contender was once a prospect. Every prospect was once an amateur fighter. So, yeah, Chimaev has never beat or fought anybody on this caliber before, but this is what we like to refer to as rising to the occasion. And I truly do believe Chimaev will rise to the occasion and, and just show that, you know, He's got more left in the tank. He's the one that's ready to make that title run. He's the one that needs to show that, hey, all this hype is deserved. And someone brought up a good point here. They said, Hamzat is around too many yes men. He needs an L, and I think this will be it. And I understand your point because I do think that no one is exempt from that first L unless your name is John Jones or Habib. And if they stuck around long enough, they would take their first Ls too. Um, my thing is, I thought that the Burns fight humbled 
Chimaev. Um, I thought that even in a win that he took the lessons he would have taken from a loss, if that makes sense, right? Like he got to find out that he wasn't invincible. He got to find out that you can't just go out there and just, you know, I kill everybody. You know, you just, you can't just be like that. You got to respect the game. And I think that did make him respect the game. And um, I think as a result, He's going, all these lessons he's learned along the way are going to all build him up to this moment. And I think he's ready uh, for Kamaru Usman. The thing I'd be worried about is if Usman, I mean, is if Chimaev kind of redlines a bit, gets some early takedowns, like you saw Leon take down Usman early in that first round, take his back, you know, you know, go out there and, and really just redline for that early finish. And if he doesn't get that, Kamaru is known for being a, a cardio freak. To quote his uh, nemesis, Colby Covington, Colby Covington referred to him as the CEO of EPO. And I'm not making any accusations, but what Colby meant by that was Usman has insane cardio for the most part, not always. Because, uh, like I said, those knees are so shot that he's not moving. He's kind of, he's not moving like he used to. He's kind of more on the rigid side. So it'd be interesting if, you know, Chemayev has this 10-8 first round and then and then Usman takes over after that. Yeah, I could see that happening. But overall, I think that Chemayev's going to come out here and, and just show that he's the fresher guy. He's the one with the higher ceiling at this point in their careers. And both guys are going on opposite trajectories. And, and for that reason, I'm going to go with the undefeated Hamza Chemayev to, to defeat one of the greatest welterweights of all time, a guy that we respect so much. And um, I think the Chemayev hype train rolls. Featured bout in the light heavyweight division, we got Magomed Ankaliev. He's 18-1-1, taking on Johnny Walker, who's 21-7. and Currently, they they got it. Magomed ankle leave minus 350. The comeback on Johnny Walker is plus 285. First of all, all y'all saying that that this guy Magomed is the uncrowned champ, disrespecting Jamal Hill. Uh, listen to me. I bet ankle leave. I max bet ankle leave in his title fight, and I bet Jamal Hill in his title fight. Which one of them won the belt? You know, a 40 year old Jan Blahovic was if that was a three-round fight he beats uh ankle like it's just that you know jan gasses out badly when fights get extended thank god uh ankle put it on him deep into that fight but man ankle let me down big time in that fight that that fight that really pissed me off man like and then you saw what jamal jamal goes when jamal gets his title fight he sets the record the output record for most significant strikes landed in a 205 pound fight against Glover, who easily beat Jan Blahovich. So my issue with Ankalaev is this. I think Ankalaev is one of the most talented fighters in the division. Some dude said Hill is a fraud, in my opinion. You're a fraud. <laughs> oh, he said, sorry, not Hill. My bad. Yeah, how can you set the record for most significant strikes in in, uh, in light heavyweight division and be a fraud? No, I know I got you. You meant not Hill. Um, so let's put it like this. We saw what Hill did in his title fight. We saw what Ankaliev did in his title fight. Night and day difference. Okay, now let's take it a step further. Let's. We saw what Hill did against Johnny Walker. Show me what you're going to do against Johnny Walker, Ankaliev, because 
so there's this dude um at my gym and he works the front desk my boy evan shout out evan if you're listening man and he's like a hardcore fan of the sport right just like me like he knows like like all the guys on the roster and like he's the only guy at my gym like like the guys at my gym we can talk about you know the the popular fighters and the main event the co-main event the, the hamzats and the this and the that right but my boy Evan at the front desk, like he'll be asking me about like prelim fighters. He'll be like, "What do you think about Shara Magomedov?" Like the, the guy we're going to talk about um, later on here. Um, and um, he made a good point about Ankh Alive. He said that Ankh Alive is as talented as they come, but he sometimes fights to the level of his opposition, and, and that's a big issue I have. Like I want to, like I know how good you are, Ankh Alive. Like there's not a hole in Ankh Alive's game stand up fantastic ground game fantastic conditioning on point i mean he's mean he's rushing like like what do you want right he's, he's got everything it's just sometimes he sits back too much for my liking sometimes you know he lets guys win rounds off him that shouldn't win rounds off him jan blahovich tiago santos and no disrespect to either of those guys i'm just saying if you're a championship level guy you cannot be getting dropped by guys like that. You cannot be getting your legs compromised by, by you know, 40-year-olds and, and, and stuff like that. So that's my issue with, with with Magomed. Like, Magomed could easily come out here and be another man to, to knock out Johnny Walker, to outclass him, whether it's on the mat, whether it's on the feet. I mean, he's got all the capabilities, and he's a big favorite for a reason. And it's not going to surprise me if he does that. But is it going to surprise you if, I mean, for example, I was at uh, Johnny Walker's last fight against Anthony Smith, came in with a really good leg kick game plan. I mean, look, I know one plus one equals two, but, it, you know, it's not it's not that simple. It's not always that black and white. But we just saw Jan Blahovic, another heavy kicker, really compromised both legs of Ankaliev. I, I assume that's going to be Johnny Walker's game plan here. Um, but we know Johnny Walker doesn't have the best chin in the world. Not that Magomed does either. Uh, I saw Tiago drop him. Tiago's a very heavy hitter. But I saw Dacha Lungjambula wobble him as well. So it's just it's just tough for me because Ankalaev, I know how good he is. I know how good he can be. And I it's just, is he going to perform to the best of his abilities or is he going to fight to the level of his competition here? That That's what it comes down to for me. Um, and Johnny has been getting better, but Johnny still has a lot of flaws in his game. You guys know that extreme tall man's defense. I think he's been getting better with the takedown defense in the get up game, you know, still, still has a lot of work to do. And also it's sketchy that he's training with the New York times bestselling author, John Kavanaugh. But at the same time, he's on a streak now since he's been doing that. So maybe that's the right fit for him. Right? So it's tough. I, I I do have to favor Ankaliev. I think that, you know, he was this, he was this close to winning the belt, right? Um, but at the same time, when he fights to the level of his competition and he makes it way closer than it needs to be, and potentially gets hurt in this fight, I mean, you saw on tape that that was that was a possibility. So you can't blame anyone but yourself um if something among those lines happens but that being said i just do think magomed's on a different level i think if magomed can be a little bit more aggressive i think he can make a statement it's just are you gonna sit back again or, or are we gonna go out there and take this man hopefully he's pissed off hopefully he's embarrassed about what happened last time and we can see that statement performance but um 
I will definitely be tuning into this one, and I'm very intrigued to see what happens here because uh, Johnny Walker surging. Hopefully, Johnny Walker finally put it together. I mean, the physical attributes have always been there. Guy's goddamn 6'6 with the 80-something-inch reach. You've seen some of his knockouts along the way. He's he's, he's a bad boy, um, but so is Magomed. And Magomed, more technically sound, more seasoned. So I got to go Magomed, but again, Magomed has pulled stunts more than once. Y'all remember the Paul Craig fight? And again, to compare him again to, to Jamal Hill, Jamal Hill didn't tap. The ref just said, stop it. You know, you don't want to see his arm break anymore. Jamal Hill gets his arm broken. Then he starts punching him with his broken arm. Whereas Ankle Leave, two seconds left in the fight, insta tap. So I'm just saying, stop comparing Magomed and, and Hill. Hill is clearly the superior fighter. You guys might disagree with me on that, but if they ever get matched up, assuming Hill comes back the same from his torn Achilles, his ruptured Achilles, but if, if I get the same Hill that we know and love, I'll bet every single one of y'all in that in that fight. But uh, that that's neither here nor there. I got Magomed and Khalif to defeat Johnny Walker. Next up in the middleweight division, we got Ikram Aleskarov, he's 14 and 1, welcoming Warley Alves, who's 14 and 6 to the middleweight division. Currently, they got it. Ikram Aleskarov minus 550. The comeback on Warley Alves is plus 400. So, Ikram, basically, he's your prototypical Russian fighter. He can Russian coast, but he can also do some other stuff. Um, last two fights has gotten some really dominant finishes. Nasty Kimura on Contender Series. Knocked out Phil Haas, which might sound like, oh, big whoop. He knocked out Phil Haas, right? Like, But still, some guys don't knock out Phil Haas. At least he showed like, hey, I'm on the level of the guys that does knock out Phil Haas. Nasruddin Imovov didn't knock out Phil Haas. Um, there was another good fighter that didn't knock him out either. Let me look up who that was. So, who's the other good fighter that didn't knock out Phil Haas? Jacob Malkoon <laughs> got starched by Phil Haas. Nasruddin Imovov didn't beat Phil Haas. So I'm just saying, like, yeah, you can't, you know, you can't act like the guy's a future champ because he knocked out Phil Haas, but, like, at least, you know, he passed that test. Now, here's an interesting thing about Worley. Like, Worley, we talked about this recently. He's what we like to refer to as a talented flake. Worley is a guy that can beat anybody and lose to anybody. Point in case, the guy beat Colby Covington in the first round, and the guy also lost to Brian Barberena and James Krause so, and Nicholas Dalby. So it's like, you know, and, and I, you guys have heard me say this for years. Like, it, it bothers me to say which version is going to show up because i truly do feel like that discredits the opponent but warley is literally one of those wild cards warley is like a ricardo ramos and alexander hernandez like like one of those guys where like hernandez one day he'll starch benil dariush and like in under a minute next fight he'll get 30 27 by pill algio ricardo ramos like he'll fucking put on a eight takedown clinic against Bill Algio, and then he'll, you know, just pull an absolute stunt, a quit job. Like, and then with Warley Alves, like I said, he, he submitted Colby Covington long-ass time ago. But then again, 
okay, when he fought Munir Lazez, when Munir Lazez was this fucking big time prospect coming off a big win, and and Munir was everybody's bet and pick that week, and Worley just fucking ran through him. And then next fight, Worley gets ran through by Jeremiah Wells. Then next fight against Dalby, it's all about, well, you know, Worley's going to have this strong first round, then Dalby's going to take over. It was the opposite. It was like Worley paced himself, and then Worley won that third round. Worley is a wild card, but Worley's got skills. Nasty guillotine, big leg kicks, knees in the clinch, heavy hands. I mean, Worley's got some stuff. It's just about where's he at mentally like um and i do think his chin might be a little suspect these days we know his gas tank's been in question even though he won that third round his last fight Worley's such a wild card for me like are you all gonna be surprised if Worley just comes out here and has that you know every every couple of years Worley has that performance where he just runs through someone and they're usually a decent opponent and then he'll turn around and have a listless performance against someone that shouldn't even you know, be beating him on paper. So it's tough. Um, I, I, you know, oh, thank you, Jonah, for bringing this up. Alice Karov went to a split with Hanacom on regionals who might have been the biggest bum on Contender Series this this year. Thank you for bringing that up because I had never watched Hanacom. I just looked at his record the, the day of the Contender Series. I was like, oh, this, this must be a guy to watch because like, you went to a split with Ikram. I'm like, okay, okay. And then he looked fucking terrible on Contender Series. So I think that there's a chance that Ikram might be slightly overrated, but at the same time, if this if Worley wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, Ikram can absolutely cover his price tag here. So Worley's a hot and cold, talented flake. So we just don't know what to expect from him. But that being said, he's a plus 400 dog, so plus 450 in some spots. So if you think that, hey, maybe it's fraud check time for Ikram, I don't blame you because Worley has fraud checked guys before. Look at the Munir Lazes fight, right? Um, and when he wins, he usually makes a statement. So I don't know. What are we going to get from Worley? You know, maybe maybe those weight cuts to welterweight were too much, and now middleweight's his new home. I really don't know. I need to sit back. I need to watch this fight, take my mental notes, and then, uh, you know, then we'll make talks going forward. But as of right now, yeah, it doesn't take a fucking genius to, to pick a minus 550 favorite, um, and I will – pick Ikram to win this fight, but it's not going to surprise me if Worley, you know, this is his once every two years where he comes out and look and looks an, um, amazing. And then after that, he falls off a cliff again. That won't surprise me at all. But for right now, I'm going to go Ikram, but I'm going to say it's a dogger pass situation. Kicking off the main card in the Bantamweight division, we got Saeed Nurmagomedov. He's 17 and three, taking on Muin Gafurov, who's 18 and five. Currently, they got it. Uh, Saeed minus 205. The comeback on Gafarov is plus 175. So Saeed's a very talented guy. Saeed's got nasty kicks, spins. Um, I love his ninja choke, his darses, his anacondas, because he, he's long for the weight class. And you shoot a sloppy shot on him, he's going to have something waiting for you. And he's very good at circling on the outside and just explosive with his kicks. Had a very tough hard fought battle with Jonathan Martinez last time out. I think the issue with um, Saeed is he is a gasser. And again, it's not because he's not in shape. The guy's in phenomenal shape. It's because he's got a very explosive dynamic style that takes a lot of energy and he's a kicker. And we all know those dynamic kicks take a lot of energy than, than punches. And this guy is primarily a kicker. So 
you know, in hard fought battles, he is going to fade again, not due to his cardio, but due to his dynamic explosive style, which requires a lot of energy. And with Gafarov, I like Gafarov a lot. I think Gafarov is a very good fighter. Um, and I think he's well-rounded. I think he's got heart. Um, I think he's going to win some UFC fights for sure. My issue here is that there's a significant athleticism disparity between the two. Um, there's a size disparity. And, man, I really liked Gafarov against Taylor Lapalus on that Paris card. That ended up not happening. Man, I liked Gafarov in that spot. But here against Saeed, you know, I see I see Saeed being more like a top 15 guy right now. Um, and, I, and I just think he's kind of slightly on a different level than Gafarov. But make no mistake about it. Gafarov is not a pushover. Gafarov is not a fraud. Gafarov is legit. Like, Gafarov is a real guy it's just again um when we talk about like the athleticism gafarov's on the smaller side gafarov's been dropped in multiple fights um and gafarov's lost to some guys that you think he probably should have won you know like chad chad and Hellinger, that he should have beat excuse me but he has good moments in all of his fights and i I'm, i think he might have some good moments here i just think that right now saeed's kind of on a different level than him so for that reason i'm picking saeed to win but don't sleep on Gafarov. I really do think he can come back and win some fights in the UFC. He's a hard worker. He's a well-rounded fighter. He's experienced. He's paid his dues. And I think he's ready for the UFC opportunity. And maybe he surpasses our expectations in fights. And it's one of those fights where, you know, Saeed wins the decision. But Gafarov, his stock goes up because he fought so tough and he's resilient. It could be one of those spots. And then next time, um, he'll get that winnable fight finally. Uh, so... Yeah, my pick is Saeed Nurmagomedov. Um, I think the length, the explosiveness is going to be a little bit too much for Gafarov, but I, I think Gafarov will be back, um, and I hope they give him another chance after this if he takes this out. Now, headlining the prelims, we got the vet, the OG Tim Elliott. He's 19-12-1, taking on the undefeated phenom, Muhammad Makayev, who's 9-0. Currently, they got it. Muhammad Makayev minus 425. The comeback on Tim Elliott is plus 325. So, you know, when Muhammad Makayev first came into the UFC, the big question, because, you know, the big talking point with him was, well, he's got this extensive amateur record. Oh, my God. He went like what? Like a million and oh in amateurs. Right. So the whole thing was like, wow, look at that. But I was thinking to myself, like talking about amateurs, like Allen Iverson, like, like, like we talking about practice. I know we ain't talking about practice. Like I don't give a fuck about his amateur stint but i'll tell you what the kids impressed me in the ufc and the question i had going into his debut you know against cody no less cody Dern was the is the toughest guy he's fought so far and he's handled him more accordingly than anyone else that he's fought um so i was wondering is it mokayev or is it fraud kayev and turns out it's mokayev man this guy is legit um he's super young but man, he's shown so much toughness. Like, like, yeah, we can talk about his incredible wrestling and how he set the record for most takedowns in flyweight history against Charles Johnson. And ironically enough, Cody Durden fights Charles Johnson and then he sets the record for the second most. I think uh, Mokayev got 12 takedowns against Charles Johnson and Cody got 11. But hey, both in the history books forever. So you love to see it. But, man, I've been so impressed with Mokayev's willingness to battle through adversity. Like, that knee bar against uh, Filio, like, bro, I know we talk about it, 
And I know a lot of people are going to mention that, but I think that we might even need to like put more emphasis in it. I think we might need to talk him up a little bit more about that. Cause like, not to again, not to be that annoying guy that pulls the jujitsu card. Oh, I grapple, so therefore, roo, roo, roo. no, no, not even that. But like, if you've been in a knee bar, that shit goes from zero to a hundred out of nowhere, and it's like, okay, I'm good, I'm good. Whoa, 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 tap, tap, tap. Right? It's like, like if you watch uh, Charles Oliveira versus Jim Miller the first time they fought, right? And Jim Miller got him in that knee bar. And at first, Charles is like, all right, I'm good, I'm good. And then as soon as it gets cranked, oh, ta 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 ta, because it's like, bro, like you don't understand the feeling of getting your knee hyperextended. Um, one of my training partners, Lee Alarcon, I think he's a pro bantamweight or something. Uh, he's a bantamweight, right? I'm pretty sure. Um, he got me in a knee bar recently. Um and at first, I'm like, oh, I'm good. I'm just going to chill out here. I'm going to use my free leg to kick off the butt, take my leg out. I'm all good. And it just went from zero to 100 out of nowhere. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And for Mokayev to get his knee from zero to 100, and he doesn't even bat an eye, he doesn't even think about I'm sure he thought about tapping, but he doesn't even you know, do that little get my hand ready to tap like some of these other guys do he's just like he starts punching <laughs> like bro like the kind of heart and balls mokayev has for surviving that um that's the heart of a champion right there and while i'm not saying there's not a chance that he has to take a vet lesson along the way or he has to get checked you know in one of these fights and and you know you know maybe a roadblock here and there I think that this kid has the heart of a champion and one day will fight for a belt because he's shown us, even in that bad spot he had against Malcolm Gordon, which, like, okay, on paper it looks bad that you got into a bad spot against Malcolm Gordon. He didn't panic in the bad spot. He he chilled out in the bad spot, and I don't think he would have tapped in the bad spot. So, yes, he's young. He He's green. He's figuring things out. But the kid's got legitimate skills. And when you talk about Tim Elliott, Tim Elliott is a legitimate test. Tim Elliott's been in there with all the best guys in the world. He's been around the block for a long time. And one thing I like is that I heard Tim Elliott. So, you know, he was training with James Krause and all them. Um, so I heard now he's living with these guys that like these like these like rich guys that like put all their money into uh, Tim Elliott's training camp to where like. He's got his meal plan. He's got like his meals cooked for him, ready to go. He doesn't even have to think twice about anything. He's got all his recovery on point. All his practices are structured, scheduled, and literally literally the entire camp is built around Tim Elliott. And you saw that in his last fight. Um, he really showed against Victor Altamirano, the former LFA champ, that, hey, like, that this is what I look like when the full camp is dedicated to me. So I think that we're going to get the best Tim Elliott we've ever seen. It's just, is that good enough to beat the young phenom? Now, Tim Elliott has stopped some very good prospects along the way, like Tagir Ulambekov, even though you know, I think maybe Tagir could have, you know, maybe got the second or third round. That's neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is Tagir was a big favorite and, Tim Elliott made that fight a lot sweatier than it needed to be. 
Sometimes my issues with Tim Elliott is that he will go balls to the wall. Not issue as a fan. I love it as a fan, but, but I'm saying as a betting man, um, to a point where he will take himself to that fatigue state. Like the guy will do fucking cartwheels in there and just all kinds of crazy scrambles. And those scrambles take energy, man. Those scrambles will will drain you. Look at the Brandon Roy Vol fight. It was really going Tim Elliott's way in the early going, but eventually, like those scrambles got to him, fatigued, and he ends up getting choked out. Um, so I think that this fight is going to be exciting. There's going to be incredible scrambles. There's going to be a lot of tit for tat. Um, but I think eventually Mokayev has a very good chance of submitting Tim Elliott, um, or at least winning the decision. So I'm gonna go with Mokayev here to extend the record to 10 and 0. Um, but all respect to Elliott, man, to stick around this long and to always, you know, he's got a lot of integrity. Also, he went through some unthinkable tragedy not too long ago and comes back and gets gets his arm raised. And just as a man, you have to root for him, right? You got to love a guy like Tim Elliott. It'll feel good to see him get his arm raised. But I think Mokayev's going to, I think he's going to have a little, I mean, I know he's got too much youth, but I'm just saying, I think that youth is what's going to carry him. Um, you know, when these scrambles start getting tough, I think that Mohamed Mokayev is going to kind of be able to push through the fatigue a little bit more than Elliot at this stage of the game. So while I do think there will be a, a first L time, and maybe it's this weekend, maybe some of y'all taking Elliot, and maybe y'all are onto something. I personally think he gets past this test, and I think the top five is where we have to start, you know, making our our, our talks about, you know, potentially that first L time. But I think the ceiling's very bright on Mokayev. In all respect to Tim Elliott, I'm taking Mokayev here. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got the UFC debut of Mohamed Yaya. He's 12 and three, uh, taking on Trevor Peak, who's eight and one. Currently, they got it. Trevor Peak minus 155. The comeback on Mohamed Yaya is plus 130. Peak Nation, stand up. I mean, bro, how can you not love Trevor Peak? And I, I know. We love the standing hammer fist and just the way he fights. I mean, that that first knockout he had in the UFC, his contender series fight, that fight he had with Chepe Morisco, which I'm shocked they didn't get fight of the night. I mean, this guy's like an elite brawler. It doesn't look the prettiest. Technique-wise, it ain't the prettiest, but, like, he's got that real, like, old-school Mike Perry, old-school Matt Brown. Matt Brown's, Matt Brown's a lot more technical, but just saying when Matt Brown first came into the UFC, um, that old-school, like, Mike Perry just, he's an elite brawler, man. Um, here, Here's my thing with Yaya, right? So I checked him out a little bit. Um, First of all, I know he's from, you know, the UAE and stuff, and I know the name Muhammad is obviously you know an arabic name what about yaya it, it isn't like yaya like a brazilian name or am i mistaken here like is this guy is is this guy actually an arab like i'm not trying to be disrespectful i'm just genuinely wondering like is he is, is this guy an arab or is this guy like mixed like what like what is he i'm i'm very interested not that it matters i'm just curious because he's got a very interesting name mohammed yaya like that's yeah, interesting. Okay, someone said he's an Arab. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. He's from the UAE, right? Uh, look, I like Mohammed Yaya. He's exciting. He comes to bang. Um, my issue with Mohammed Yaya is that, 
you know, like for example, that last fight he had against uh, that French guy, right? Who's like five and four, like Yaya drops him in the first round. And then that dude drops Yaya in the first round. And it's like, you know, as fans, we love those back and forth fights, but as betting as, as you know, a betting man, I don't like betting on guys that are getting dropped by, you know, by, by bums, uh, no offense. And that's not the first time he's been finished. He's been finished a couple other times, but like, I like watching him fight. He, he, he comes to bang. He's exciting. He's going to bring it. And I think that's why they matched him up with Trevor P because they know for a fact that, you know, these guys are somewhat, you know, around the same level. Um, you know, they got, I'd say similar experience. Mohamed Yaya has got a few more fights than them, but you know, they fought like, I, like, I think that this is a really well-matched fight is what is what I'm trying to say here. But I think that the durability of Trevor Peak is going to be a big difference here. Um, and I think uh, I, I think Trevor Peak's going to win this fight. Uh, someone said UAE money is going to fly. Don't overthink it. Yeah, I feel where you're coming from. But what I'm trying to say here is that when Mohamed Yaya gets dropped in this fight, you can only fix a fight so much, right? Like, if a fight is, if look, if it's a tit for tat, super close fight, could go either way. Okay, then you give it to Yaya. But what I'm trying to say is, like, if Yaya is like getting dropped, which I think is probably going to happen here, you know, you can't pull the strings in situations like that. It has to be within reason. Um, and although peak at times will make a peak fade especially against guys who are more experienced or more technically sound who who want it more who are durable there's going to be your opportunities like that last time against chepe chepe is a very seasoned guy chepe's beat guys that are in the ufc right now i'm not just talking about you know trevor peak and jack jenkins but i'm talking about like on his regional scene uh chepe beat pat sabatini you, you understand what i'm saying like he's been in there with some real guys uh whereas muhammad yaya you know, he's been getting dropped by some lower level competition and, and i don't think he's a bad fighter by any means um you know it, and he's a finisher he's got nine finishes on his record seven by knockout two by submission he's undefeated when fights go to decision so there's a lot to like about him for a green guy making his debut kind of at the lower level like we're going to talk about the mike breeden and jubilee fight and like this is probably around that same this is, this is slightly a step above those guys but this is still the lower level of you know the lightweight division i just think that trevor peak a little bit too much firepower a little bit too much will i think he's gonna get it done but like i said he's not the most technically sound fighter in the world i doubt he's ever flown halfway or all the way across the world to a place like abu dhabi hopefully the jet lag doesn't fuck with him too much um and if he's at his best i think he can win this fight so i'm gonna go trevor peak here but man that made me really excited to talk about the jubilee and breeding fight but before we do that we gotta talk about basharat and henry but before we do that everybody do me a huge favor smash that like button for me if you're not you know subscribe please subscribe and when this is over do me a huge favor and leave me a comment thank you next up in the bantamweight division we got javid basharat he's 14 and 0 taking on victor henry who's 23 and 6 
currently, holy shit, they got a Javid Basharat minus 625. The comeback on Victor Henry is plus 450. So I think the Basharat brothers are phenomenal, especially Farid. Uh, and, and when I say that, I don't want that to sound like uh, disrespected Javid because I think Javid's fucking great too. I think Javid is really good. But Farid, I think, might be like a, a future top five guy. Not that, not that Javid won't be. Um, I don't even know why I'm comparing the two because Javid's the one fighting. I guess because maybe we just bet on Farid his last fight and he and he easily won. Um, but both the Basharat brothers, they're problems, man. They are problems, brothers. Um, so this is a good test for him. I I understand the line is very wide. Um. But the thing about it is Victor Henry's a real vet, man. Victor Henry's, this is going to be his 30th pro fight that we know of. You know, he's probably one of those guys that has a bunch of fights that are not even on his record. Like, he's a real scrapper. And I talk about this often when I talk about Victor Henry. The numbers he put up in the Barcelos fight are some of the best numbers I've ever seen in all my years watching this sport. Like, when you talk about volume... This dude, Victor Henry, went out there against Barcelos, and he attempted, he threw, excuse me, 397 total strikes. Like, that is unheard of. Like, in round one, Victor Henry landed more strikes in round one versus Barcelos than Tyron Woodley did in, in five-round fights combined. Like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, let me pull this up real quick. What do y'all think uh, Tyron Woodley? He went five rounds with Gilbert Burns, right? So let me pull up the stats real quick. Okay, I got it. Check this out. So Tyron Woodley went five rounds with Gilbert Burns. How many significant strikes, take a guess, did Tyron Woodley land in all, all five rounds combined, in all five rounds, how many significant strikes did Tyron Woodley land versus, versus Gilbert Burns? Okay. In So the answer for that is 28. 28 significant strikes throughout the whole five-round fight. Right? Victor Henry, in round one, just round one, landed 54 strikes. <laughs> So in round one, he landed more strikes than Woodley did in an entire five-round fight. In round two, Victor landed 58, more than Tyron Woodley did in an entire five-round fight. In round three, Victor landed 69, more than Woodley in an entire five-round fight. Now, someone made a point, but how about against the Sun Sao? And I'm glad you brought that up. He only landed 55 total significant strikes, still more than Tyron Woodley, <laughs> but significantly less. Than Victor Henry did versus Barcelos. But why was that? You guys know that have been watching Rafael Asuncao fight throughout his entire career know that Rafael Asuncao has an ability to make his opponents fight very, very low output fights. In fact, do you all want to hear a nice little stat? So Rafael Asuncao made his WEC debut in 2009. So we have a sample size of a Sun Sao from 2009 all the way to his most recent fight in 2023 versus Davy Grant. And let me ask y'all something. Guess 
from that span from 2009 to 2023, guess how many opponents landed 100 significant strikes against Rafael Sunsau throughout his entire WEC and UFC career? Zero. Zero. Zero people have ever landed 100 significant strikes against a Sun Sal from 2009 all the way to 2023. So what I'm trying to say here is that the Sun Sal fight should not be any indicator of anything here. That means nothing. A Sun Sal knows how to fucking make it a low output point fighting battle. But then the very next fight against Tony Gravely, guess what? Victor Henry got back to his volume ways. And he threw 281 strikes total. He landed 190, 154 of them significant. So what I'm trying to say here is that Victor Henry's got the volume to to compete with Basharat on the feet here. I think he's got the goods to compete everywhere with Basharat on the feet here. Uh, Excuse me, everywhere in the fight here, on, on the mat, on the feet, wherever. I think he can compete. Um, is he going to win is, is the question, right? I Because I do think that Bashrat, obviously, I think he might be hungrier. He's the younger guy by, by a good clip. Let me see what the age difference is. Yeah, I mean, the age difference here is eight years. Eight years younger, you know, taller, reach advantage, less wear and tear on the body, and he seems like a legit prospect. So I do lean Bashrat here, but... Minus 625 implies that, firstly, let's look up the exact, let, let's look up um, exactly what minus 625 means. So minus 625 means that, <laughs> that uh, Basharat has over 86% chance to win this fight. And I'm not saying they're wrong, but what I'm trying to say here is that when someone's favored 86% to win a fight, well, I expect you to fucking hit him with the first punch and the fight's over. I expect one takedown, the fight's over shortly after. I expect you to dominate and outclass this guy in a way where, you know, you just look like a future champ. And I just don't see that being the case here. I'm not saying Javi's not going to win because I'm picking Javi to win. But what I'm saying is, I think this has a chance to be a competitive fight. Like, you know, maybe a, a you know, 30-27 on one card, 29-28 on the other two, you know, just a a hard-fought three-round battle where Javid's just slightly ahead, but minus 625 means that he's going to run through him. And has anyone ever ran through Victor Henry? Victor, oh, Okay, so this is Victor Henry's 30th pro fight. The guy's never been finished. In 29 pro fights, the guy's never been finished. He's got a winning record when fights go to decision. He's finished 14 fights. So it's not that I'm making a case for the underdog. I'm just making a case that that minus 625. I mean, shit, if you want to take a one-unit shot on Victor Henry just, just to see if his vet savvy can get him through this, I understand because, like I said, minus 625 should be reserved for we're just going to go out there, you know, run this guy over real quick, pat him on the back, and and be on our way. And I just don't see it being that. I see it being a three-round fight where Javi, you know, edges it out a bit. Minus 625 is not an edge. Uh, So 
It's a dogger pass situation. My pick is Javid Basharat. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Cedriquez Dumas. He's eight and one, taking on Abu Azaitar, who's 14, three and one. Currently, they got it. Cedriquez Dumas minus 250. The comeback on Abu Azaitar is plus 210. So they were supposed to fight when Cedriquez Dumas made his UFC debut. Dumas actually made an interesting point. He said, This is, he says, this is his UFC debut because Fremd was a last minute replacement. Brundage was a last minute replacement, whereas he was originally supposed to fight Azaitar in his debut. So, and now he's finally gets to fight Azaitar. It's just he has to go to Abu Dhabi to do it. Here's my thing if you gave me these odds on Azaitar, you know, in, in what, 2016 to, to 2018, around then, I'm going Azaitar all day. But the thing is, Azaitar doesn't need to fight. Um, Azaitar and his brother, they're very connected individuals. They got a lot of things going on outside the cage. And while I would never question their warrior spirit, the only thing I'm questioning is their commitment to the game at this point in their respective careers. That's it. Um, you know, I, I just think that, you know, they don't need this shit, bro. Like, they're, they're, these guys are set for life. They do not need this is just for fun for them, right? Or as Dumas is very green, but he's got some things going for him. He's a very athletic guy. He's big for the weight class, you know, 6'2 with a 79-inch reach. And he's had less than 10 pro fights, right? This is actually about to be his 10th pro fight. And we talk about it all the time. These guys with 10 or less pro fights, you're gonna be seeing these big leaps every single time they fight and you all know i was the guy that you know was ringing the josh friend you know uh bell you know i like plus 190 plus 180 whatever it was when everyone you know people were like comparing dumas to jamal hill that week i was like what um i was like i was like what like, like what <laughs> you know um but i think that I do think that he's got talent. I just think he's got to work out the kinks. He's super green. He's super raw, but you're going to be seeing improvements. He just got his first win. It was an ugly fight, but he just got his first win in the UFC. So now he's got a little bit more confidence, feels like he belongs. And I think he's catching Abu at the right time. My only thing is, I'm telling you all right now, like if this was 2016 to 2018 era, Abu Azitar, I think Azitar is too seasoned for him. I thought Azitar more too well-rounded like as beat some real guys at the time not guys that are doing their thing now but like at the time like you know he knocked out jack marshman before jack marshman even made his ufc debut like he, he was beating you know well-known guys on their regional scene it's just like i said where's his commitment at does he does he even give a fuck about this anymore is he just doing it just for the love of the game just for fun I know he's not trying to make a title run. I think this is just fun for him. Um, so I'm going to go Dumas. I think he might be a little bit more physical. Here's my only thing. So check this out. This, this is an interesting little uh, narrative that I don't think too many people are talking about. So Cedric uh, was Dumas is like a big-time pothead, right? Like I'm talking about like a big-time pothead to where I saw him go on Instagram Live talking about how like you know he's got a prescription for weed um because like he needs it for his i don't remember what it, what the reason was but he's got a prescription right so he smokes every single day 
And y'all know for a fact that, you know, if you smoke weed in Abu Dhabi, uh, you know, they're going to throw you in jail. They're going to they're gonna toss you in the jail cell and throw away the key, right? So it would be a big-time bonehead move for this guy to try to bring any weed with him to uh, to Abu Dhabi, let alone try to find someone to, to bring him some. Because, like, y'all remember uh, when that, that basketball that chick basketball player had like a little point zero one like minuscule like residue of weed in her bag you know in russia and then they did that whole shit i know there was some political agenda there but just saying like they don't fuck around in abu dhabi like certain places bro it's different like if you go to singapore and you spit on the ground you're going to fucking jail and they, they might take the lashes and, and hit you a bunch of times, bro. Like you do not do shit like that. Right. And here you do not go to Abu Dhabi with some weed. And my experience as you know, when I was, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Uh, Jeezy, Gucci, outcast. Like we grew up smoking the perp and in high school, that's all we knew. And yeah, it's not like heroin or something, but when you smoke for like a couple of years straight and then you just take a week off, like you're going to kind of, you're going to have trouble sleeping. You're going to have nightmares. You're going to feel like, oh man, I need my, I need my weed and this and that. And I'm very curious what Cedric was Dumas looks like with a week, a week or two without weed when this guy's been smoking for like the last 10 years, every single day says he needs his prescription says this is something he needs for his everyday life. I'm not, I'm not hating on it. I'm not knocking on it. I'll fucking smoke a joint with him. Sure. No problem. I'm just saying that. Yeah. And Dixon Sider said nightmares. Yeah. Nightmares. Because uh, when you smoke a lot of weed, it actually kills your dreams. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean that uh, literally like talk to any of your stoner friends, ask them what the last dream they had was. They're going to be like, oh, actually, I've noticed I haven't been dreaming much lately. And then when you stop smoking weed, you start having these insane, vivid, lucid dreams. You have insane nightmares. Um, your appetite's all fucked up, bro. So, and, and you know, and these are like minor, minor withdrawal symptoms for something like weed. Imagine what it's like if you're doing shit like heroin, you know, where you feel like you're going to fucking die, Right. So here, yeah, it's a little bit on the minor side, but I'm just saying it's a big change for him. This guy's a real pothead. Um, so what's it going to be like not smoking weed for two weeks? Is he going to be himself? Plus, this guy's never traveled outside the country. And the first time he traveled out the country it is not Mexico. It's not Canada, you know, where the time change ain't shit. You're fucking going to Abu Dhabi where right now where I am, it's 4.12 p.m. on Wednesday. Let's see. Time in Abu Dhabi. I'm looking it up right now. Time in Abu Dhabi. Okay, check this out. So right now, for me, it's 4.12 p.m. on Wednesday. In Abu Dhabi, it's 12.12 12 a.m. on Thursday. Do you guys understand what I'm saying right now? So there's a lot of things going, you know, like Armchair made a good point. It's a mental thing, but it's real. And y'all know the mental part of the game is huge here. So while I think Dumas has a lot going in his favor, um, this little weed narrative is sticking in my mind and it's enough for me not to want to lay the juice here. So I'm going to, you know, 
Yeah, Tarzan Strickland said, if he's never stopped before, it messes with him. Exactly, because in the U.S., he didn't have to stop because they changed the rule to where you can smoke leading up to your fight, right? But in Abu Dhabi, like, you show up with, like, half a gram, you're fucking going to jail, bro. They better call Joe Biden to get you out. You understand what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, <laughs> you know, and then also it's minus 250. So I'm good on that. Uh, it's a pass for me. My pick is Dumas because I think that he's the hungrier guy at this point. But Abu, if he shows up like the Abu from 2016 to 2018, he could whoop Dumas's ass. Like Abu was a prospect at one point. It's just like I said, he's got way too much stuff going on outside the cage. And Planet Whisperer brings up something good. Uh, it's not. It's not that he's just smoking joints. This guy's smoking blunts. Blunts. Um, you know, it's tobacco leaves, right? So, um, it's not just the getting off weed, it's getting off tobacco too. That can fuck with people as well. So I'm very curious to see how Dumas, um, how Dumas performs here. I'm going to pick him because I think he's, you know, I think their careers are kind of going in opposite trajectories, but that's a big factor for me and enough for me not to, uh, not to bet this fight. Next up in the lightweight division, we got the Indian prospect and Shul Jubilee seven and zero taking on Mike Breeden, who's ten and six. Currently, they got it. And Shul Jubilee who's minus two seventy. The comeback of Mike Breeden is plus two thirty. So I know a lot of people like Mike Breeden in the spot. They think Jubilee's a fraud, and that Breeden's going to be the guy that exposes him. Here's what I have to say about that. So, all right, Jubilee's a badass. Let me explain what I mean. Like, if you're like an Indian kid, right, you're growing up in India, right, and let's just backtrack for a sec. When you think about the most badass places, you know, to crop mixed martial arts talent, what are the top three you think of? United States, Brazil, and Russia, Right. Okay. And yeah, you know, there's some emerging places, you know, Peru's emerging, you know, a bunch of countries are emerging. But I'm saying the top three are US, Russia, and Brazil. They got hundreds of badasses to look up to. But when you think about India, right? Like you don't think about like, man, that, that's that badass fighter from India. Like, this is the guy that's gonna wave the torch. Like, who's a badass fighter from India? Um, there was a dude named Barrett Condore. He Got smoked by Song Yadong, then he tested positive. We never heard from him ever again. There was the the heavyweight that got Uma Plotted, uh, Arjan Bueller. Yeah, he he washed out. You know what I'm saying? So there's never really been that Indian guy that could wave the torch. So now with Jubilee being an undefeated Indian guy, he's got a lot of pressure on his shoulders because you know. Kids from if this guy can actually be successful in the UFC, he could be a trailblazer. Like Cheeto Vera was the first Ecuadorian fighter. This kid's not the first Indian fighter, but this kid is, I think, the only Indian fighter on the roster right now. And man, if he can get some wins in the UFC, he can open up a market there and kids can actually have like a badass role model to look up to. Because, like I said, Indians aren't known for being good at fighting. But what I want to say here is that, you know, this whole narrative about, oh, this is what the UFC wants. I don't give a fuck about any of that. What I give a fuck about is this. So Jubilee 
He's very green. He's very raw, and he needs a lot of work. So you take that into consideration, and you look at the lightweight roster, and it's like, okay, well, who can we put him up against that? You know, is going to test him, but isn't going to just like blow him out the water. Like, you know, okay. So like for example, if you put Jubilee with anyone that's in the top one hundred right now, he's fucked right now, right? But Mike Breeden, guess what Mike Breeden is ranked in the world? Mike Breeden is ranked number 233. So this isn't even a top 100 fighter. This isn't even a top 200 fighter. This is number 233 in the world. They basically had to go, like, they had to scour towards the bottom of the bottom of the lightweight division to find a guy that they think Jubilee can, can compete with. And basically... I hear people talking about how Breeden, oh, but I mean, come on. You only lost to Alexander Hernandez and uh, Terrence McKinney and Natan Levy. Like, what would those guys do to Jubilee? Yeah, I, I agree. What would those guys do to Jubilee? They'd whoop Jubilee's ass. No debate. But what about those fucking regional guys that were dropping Mike Breeden? What about those regional guys that were taking down Mike Breeden? Mike Breeden is a journeyman. Mike, isn't he also like 34, 35? He's 34. Um, and I mean, like, we're not, you got to understand, we're not just talking about, you know, Terrence McKinney or Hernandez. Guys, James Reed, who was five and seven. Wait, wait a second. Hold on. Am I looking at amateurs? Oh, my bad, guys. I brought up an amateur fight. Well, still, you got topped out by a five and seven guy. Okay. Um, he got knocked out by a three and two guy who's now six and four. This is all pre pre UFC. So all I'm trying to say is, yeah, okay. Natan Hernandez and McKinney beat him. Great. Those guys would beat Jubilee too. No debate, no debate, but like, bro, fucking what's up with, you know, a three and two guy knocking him out under a minute. So all I'm trying to say here is that Mike Breeden is, the bottom of the bottom. Like he's just a serviceable journeyman. Like he's not bad anywhere. He's just got no athleticism. Um, and his skills are just, just average run of, run of the mill. So this is the kind of guy that you can get away with putting Jubilee in there with, because like I said, if you put Jubilee with a, with a top hundred guy, <laughs> he's fucked, but you give him a guy like Mike Breeden, you know, who's a little bit more experienced than most of the guys that, that, that jubilee has been fighting and you let him get his feet wet against someone like this um so i get people taking breeding because they want to fade jubilee there's gonna be a time to fade jubilee trust me trust me especially if he looks impressive here but what i'm trying to say is stop the narrative about mckinney and hernandez and and levy and all that fuck all that bro Three and two guys were knocking out Breeden in under a minute. So um, I think that this is the kind of fight that Jubilee can come out here, you know, front run, be a little bit more physical than this guy, get this guy out the way, continue your streak as the undefeated Indian prospect. And then when we uh, fight a guy who's not ranked 233 in the world, and maybe we enter the top 100, then we fade him. But right here, I don't think this is the spot. I think that this is the perfect opponent for Jubilee to, you know, take that next step up. And I say next step up. Jubilee is ranked ahead of this guy, but just next step up in terms of, okay, now you're fighting an American that's got some UFC experience. Leave it at that, right? 
Um, but yeah, I, I think Jubilee wins this fight and we're going to get a great opportunity to fade him. And I look forward to that very much, Just not this weekend. Mike Breeden is not that guy. Now, next up in the featherweight division. And for the record, I'm not going to parlay Jubilee. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Nathaniel Wood. He's 19 and five, taking on Mohamed Naimov, who's nine and two. Currently, they got it. Nathaniel Wood minus 330. The comeback on Mohamed Naimov is plus 270. Um, very interesting matchmaking because I kind of felt like Nathaniel Wood was at a point now where, look, you beat Air Jordan, you beat Andre Feely. Okay, now we can talk about like say a Lerone Murphy type guy. We can talk about say. You know, one of those either either top fifteen or top twenty five, right? Just like, like you're like you're getting right there, right? Um, and then now you're taking on this guy in Naimov who has nowhere near the experience as you, but he's a dangerous guy, right? Naimov's got seven finishes, and we know that one thing about Nathaniel Wood. I mean, he's good everywhere. Striking is on point. Beautiful calf kicks. I like his pun. I like the way he sets up his punches. He's good on the mat as well. He's good everywhere. I like everything about him. The only issue is he's been knocked out in a few fights. He's been dropped in multiple fights. Um, there's been questions about his chin throughout his career. And if you want to talk on narratives, this is a letdown spot. And let me explain what I mean. When you go from fighting Air Jordan. Andre Feely, like, you know, borderline top 15 to top 25 guys. Great. Like I said, now you earned your, your next fight against like a Lerone Murphy or, or, or something like that. Right. And now you're, this is a high risk, low reward fight. Like Nathaniel Wood should absolutely beat this guy outclass him and do his thing. But it's like, my, my point I'm trying to make here is this Nathaniel Wood is ranked number 17 in the world, right? Andre Feely is ranked number 28 in the world. Charles Jordan is ranked number 23 in the world, right? So he's been, so, you know, he fought. Basically, what I'm trying to say is Nathaniel Wood, like, you know, he's a top 20 guy. Jordan and Feely are top 30 guys. Now, all of a sudden, you're fighting the number 65 ranked lightweight in the world. Like, this is a letdown spot. Like, bro, like, like I said, uh, high risk, low reward. Like, like what, why, why is Nathaniel Wood fighting this guy? I don't understand. Like you, is it, was no one else available? Was that the case? Here's the thing with Naimov on contender series. I wasn't impressed at all. He lost to one of the worst fighters on contender series in Colin Anglin. And he slowed down badly as the fight progressed. Lost his next fight on Titan FC, beats a couple bums on the regional scene, gets his call, and man, he made the most of his call because he knocked out Jamie Malarkey. And something interesting is he knocked out Jamie Malarkey at 155 pounds. So he's a 55er. Nathaniel Woods, a former 35er. They're meeting at 45s. So yeah, Naimov's going to be the much bigger man here. But um, Nathaniel Woods used to fighting much bigger men. Look at Feely, right? Uh, it, it's just, this is a dangerous fight because it's like, what do you gain from a win here, Nathaniel? Like, man, I, I feel so bad for him. He really should be fighting a top 15 guy now. Um, so he's got a lot to lose. He's got to play this safe. 
Uh, so I think Muhammad Naimov is KO or bust. I think Nathaniel Wood can win this fight anywhere. And I think Nathaniel Wood should win this fight anywhere. It's just, you know, why are you risking your spot against a guy that, you know, he, he hasn't earned his spot against you? Why, why are you risking it? So, you know, fighters are going to fight. So I respect it. I respect the hell out of it. But this is a risky fight for Wood for the reasons I've mentioned. I still think he should clearly win. I think he's way better than this guy. I think he owns this guy. Um, but yeah, Naimov's dangerous. But that's that's about it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Nathaniel Wood. Next up in next up in the strawweight division, we got Jin Frey. She's eleven and nine, taking on Victoria Dudakova, who's seven and zero. Currently, they got it. Victoria Dudakova minus five twenty five. The comeback on Jin Frey is plus four hundred. So uh, this is kind of what they like to do with Jin Frey. She's a prospect tester. You know, you remember off Contender Series when Gloria De Paula, Gloria De Paula had this great fight on Contender Series where she looked like, hey, she might be one of the emerging prospects um, in the women's divisions. And then she goes in there and Jin Frey, it was like half debut stunt half vet lesson ish um you know and then yoder was a battle of two old ladies jin got the win there but then they tried against a couple more prospects and those prospects got the wins over over jin Frey. i just think that jin Frey, i just think she's on her way out um i respect her you know she's been in the game a long time she even hit three takedowns in that fight she lost against elise reed but Victoria Dudakova is on a different level. The only thing that sucks is the is the line. But Victoria Dudakova um, can land multiple takedowns. She's starting to get better um, at, you know, she's getting better with her hands. And one thing I like about her is she's not just a good hammer. She's a good nail, too. Like, when I've seen her in bad spots, she survived them. She's gone out there and shown toughness, shown that, hey, I'm not just a front runner. I can take it, too. And I am willing to fight until the bitter end. And I think that's exactly what she's going to do here. And this is, you know, I know Dudakova's green and I know the line sucks on her, but this is the perfect fight for her to, you know, feel what a, what a seasoned vet is like, who's kind of on her way out, iron out some kinks, get some more cage time in there, get this win. And then let's see what happens uh, going forward. But yeah, this is one I think Dudakova wins. Just too bad the line sucks. And last but not least, this is going to be good. Last but not least, in the middleweight division, we got Bruno Blindado Silva. He's 23 and 9, welcoming Shara Butin. We'll just call him Shara. Magomedov, he's 11 and 0 to the UFC. Currently, they got it. Shara Magomedov minus 275. The comeback on Bruno Blindado is plus 235. So. Okay, so for y'all that have never seen Shara fight before, this is what he brings to the table. Um, he's got he's Russian, but you'd think, oh, as a Russian, um, oh, he must be this big time grappler, this and that. That's not what he is. He's a very dynamic kicker from the outside, um, kind of like a cross between like a a Russian like Nikita Krylov and like a Machida ish. Very heavy kicks on the outside, very dexterous with his legs. A lot of dexterity is what I mean can throw side kicks up to the face. He can spin. Very, very heavy kicks. Um, punches, 
not so much. Um, I mean, he will set stuff up, and he has let his hand go. He has let his hands go a little bit more in more recent fights, but mainly he'll jab to the body, look to set up the kicks, and he'll do a co- occasional blitzes. But he's not known for his hands. He's known for those kicks from the outside, and then up close in the clinch, he's got nasty knees in the clinch. He's got really good knees in the clinch. So he's a good prospect. Uh, I look forward to seeing what he does um, in the UFC. Bruno Blandado is a great test. Um, I really like Bruno Blandado. I always have. You know, he's a guy that, you know, in his regional scene, he was in Russia, and he was going out there knocking out Russians. Alexander Shlomenko, who, if you know, you know exactly who Alexander Shlomenko is. Artem Frolov, who at the time was 11-0, comes into the UFC, knocks out his first few opponents goes life and death with Alex Alex Pereira in a great fight. But since that point, since the Alex Pereira fight, I thought he took a lot of damage there, and he hasn't looked as good since then. The Mearshart fight, you can call it an off night all you want, but, man, Mearshart was dropping him all over the place, and Mearshart, he looked really bad against Mearshart. Then against Brad Tavares, I actually bet on Bruno Blindado at Dog Oz against Brad Tavares. He knocked him out in the first round, a couple sketchy moments early, but he got it done. And then with Brendan Allen, it was a fun back-and-forth fight, but, you know, Allen, and Allen drops him again, ends up getting the better of it. So there's questions of, you know, because Bruno did have a USADA suspension when he first came into the UFC, um, and there's questions of if now, after so many years have passed, if now his body is starting to kind of flab out on him a, a bit, if the durability is starting to wane. But let me tell you something about Bruno Blindado. He is a guy that can fraud check people. He is a guy that, how many knockouts y'all think he has? I'll tell y'all right now, 20 knockout wins for Bruno Blindado Silva, zero knockout losses. But asterisk, he has been dropped in a few fights. He's been submitted in those fights that he got dropped in. But 20 knockout wins, you know for a fact. If these guys trade in the pocket, I mean, I say Bruno Silva's got better hands than this guy. And I think if Bruno Silva can close the distance, get out of that kicking range, and kind of, you know, make it a small fight, cut off the cage, I think there's a chance he can knock out Shara. It's just at distance, I think that Shara is going to be lighting him up with big body kicks with leg kicks, eventually go upstairs to the head. Those knees in the clinch, I think, are going to be devastating. You saw in the Jordan Wright fight, Jordan Wright hurt Bruno with some knees to the body. I think that that's something Shara can have success with here. Um, so I understand people taking Bruno because they want to, you know, they want to sh- show me you're on that level, Shara. Show me you're that guy. Maybe it's a fraud check uh, situation. but And it is a dogger pass situation at these odds. I will say that. Um it's just it's hard for me to to take Bruno after the amount of damage he's taken these last few fights. It seems like his durability is kind of waning a little bit. So that's what I'm worried about. Also, I think he's very susceptible to the body where I think that Shara is going to attack. So I'm going to go with Shara in this spot. But I think at plus 235, the plus 250, I think it might be a dogger pass situation just to just to see. Just show me that you're that guy, right? Because Bruno's not an easy UFC debut opponent. It's not like they gave him fucking, I don't know, the equivalent of Mike Breeden uh, at middleweight, right? You know, they they gave him a legit guy. Um, But I think that Bruno probably needs a little more time off from all these wars he's been in where he has been getting dropped. He has been taking damage. But again, if Shara's not on his game and he pulls a debut stunt, which we've seen many debut stunts over the years, Bruno can absolutely add to his 20 knockouts on his record 100%, especially if they're throwing hands, for sure. But at kicking range, at distance, and up close in the clinch, 
that's where I think Shara is probably going to get the best of this, and I'm going to pick him to win this fight. So, guys, thank you all so much for everything. Y'all do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. When this is over, leave me a comment. I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. After that, I'm down to answer a couple questions, and then I'm going to get out of here. So besides the main event and the co-main event, I think the fight to watch... I mean, who doesn't want to watch a Trevor Peak fight, right? It might not be the most high-level fight, but Trevor Peak is must-see TV. You watch his Contender Series fight. You watch his UFC debut. You watch his fight with Chepe. All, like, fight of the nights, like, wow, or knockout of the nights. Like, you got to keep an eye out for him. And, and just in terms of excitement, and Mohamed Yaya is going to give him that fight. Mohamed Yaya comes to bang. So it should be a very exciting fight. My fighter to watch... I mean, again, besides the main and the co-main event, part of me wants to go with Ikram because I want to see just how good Ikram really is. Like, the jury's still out on Ikram. And then also Javid Basharat, like, I think he's a great prospect, but, like, Victor Henry's a seasoned vet that's seen it all and isn't just going to take a knee for nobody. Has never been finished in 30 pro fights, like, Javid show and Javid's got a big price tag to cover. Like, show me you're that, show me you're that big of a favorite, right? Uh, so for that reason, those are my fighters to watch. All right, I'm gonna scroll up to the top. Y'all leave me some questions, and then I'm gonna get out of here. And uh, I'm grateful that y'all uh, have been here with me. You know what I'm saying? It's been a lot of fun. Planet Whisper said biggest upset of the night. That's a great fucking question. Um, shit, I really don't know. This has been a tough one to find dogs. Um, yeah, I wish I, I wish I had a solid answer for you, man. And I picked all the favorites, which doesn't take a genius to do, but usually I pick a lot of dogs, but I don't know, man. So when I pick all the favorites, that means there's gonna be like there's gonna be an upset that we don't expect. Dominic says plausible one would be Bruno. Yeah, it could be. It could be, you know. You might fraud check him, especially in the pocket. So, yeah, I mean, I just think that this is a really interesting card. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to the the main and the co-main a lot, man. Like to see Chemayev back in there. Um, you got Islam and Volk. Lit said he thinks Naimov is the upset. And, and I understand why you say that because, like we were talking about, Nathaniel Wood should be fighting like a top 15, top 20 guy. And all of a sudden you're fighting like a top 100 guy. Like, this, he's got a lot to lose in this spot. So I feel where you're coming from. Tarzan said, do you think Walker is as live as people are saying? I mean, that just comes down to if Magomed fights to the level of his competition like he has in so many fights where, like, He's so much better than these guys, but he doesn't do much to break away. Look at the Tiago Santos fight. You look at the Jan Blahovic fight. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a possibility, but there's also a possibility that Ankle Live shows there's levels to this shit. So I I'm very excited about that as well. Um, Planet Whisperer said, I noticed biggest upsets happen early on 
card to bust parlays as quick as possible. Wood is the only fight that makes no sense. You say that, but like the last three UFC main events have all been upsets. Gamrot, Bobby Green, Edson Barboza. Fuck, man. That so deep fight was so so I I cashed on Gamrot, I cashed on Bobby Green, and then I bet Sodique big. And man, like first round looks like the best fighter on planet Earth. And I think he broke his hand. And I have a suspicion he gassed out. I was told that's not the case. I was told he just broke his hand. And ah, it sucks, man. Rounds two, two through five. I was like that that politician that just like froze on the mic. That was like. You know what I'm saying? That was like my literal reaction rounds two through five. Um, so, yeah, it, it's tough to say. All right. Any uh, last questions or comments or anything you'd like me to address before I get out of here? Um, I'm happy to answer anything y'all got for me or comment on something or advice. I don't fucking know. Legend called green last event. Crazy. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. All right. Well, I think that's it. All right. Thank you guys so very, very much for checking out this special edition of Half the Battle for UFC 294. It's going down this Saturday. Y'all do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. Hit the subscribe button. When this is over, leave me a comment. Um, also, if you feel so inclined, feel free to share. Professor Chaos said, thoughts on OAM versus Collard? I think OAM should be favored, but I'm rooting for Collard. I like his style a lot more. Ghost Gardener, great show. Appreciate the content. Thank you very much. Armchair, do you think a larger man can sub Volk where T-City failed? Possibly, but it's kind of hard to submit someone that doesn't have a neck. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'd be curious if you could go after his limbs, though, because, like, arm bars and shit, man, you don't fuck around. With, or, like, a heel hook or something. Like, But, uh... To actually submit him with a choke, it's got to it's got to be locked the fuck in because it's hard it's hard to uh, it's hard to submit a guy with no neck. Dom said, "Will you shave the beard if Hamza loses? <laughs> if Ham if Hamza and Islam lose, maybe. But right now, I'm enjoying this. But I think this is it's good luck. You know, we're in Abu Dhabi. Got to show respect. I think that uh, you know." We, we show up dressed accordingly. Armchair said, have you heard Volk has to cut like 26 pounds? Yeah, but I'm not worried about that. He's a professional. He's got good nutritionist behind him. And I've heard of way worse stories. So I don't think, I think um, a lot of y'all need to actually like see like what these fighters really go through behind the scenes. And it's crazy how they cut so much weight and then, I mean, their recovery processes are down to a science, and then they go out there and perform the next day. But again, when you cut too much, that's when you can have diminishing returns. So it's a great question, but I think that Volk should be fine. Volk's a consummate professional. All right. Thank you all so much. Really, really appreciate it. Sincerely. Um, y'all can hit me up on Twitter at Best Fight Picks, on Instagram at Half the Battle Pod. Um, and. I don't always get notifications on Twitter unless I'm following you. So if I didn't respond to you, it's nothing personal, but my DMS are open. I'm always down to interact with anyone that supports me and has my back. So really appreciate it. Best of luck to y'all this weekend. And until the next time, Oh, real quick, before I say that in the comments 
after this is over. Leave me a comment. Tell me what um, the best parlay and the best underdog on this card is. All right. Best parlay, best underdog. Leave it in the comments for me. All right. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.